the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Here on CBS Sports, that's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, got a lot to get to in a very interesting week, not just within college football, but with all of college sports. More on that in just a little bit. Uh, the early entry deadline for the NFL draft was on Monday. Now, there is a little bit of a grace window, but for the most part, those who have declared, uh, we believe that to be the list. We have our underclass, underclassmen draft trackers up. You can find your favorite ones. Of course, we're always going to direct you to 24-7 Sports and CBSSports.com for all the latest. Uh, we've had some analysis on, on CBS Sports all during the week, and uh, we are excited to sort of go through the, this roster reset period. Uh, the transfer portal continues to spin, and we are going to do that, but we really believe that here at the Cover 3 podcast, uh, we are better than anybody else in the business at being able to help you understand the way that these teams are constructed, uh, holes, needs, and the ways that uh, coaches go about filling them. So, uh, but you know we very excited to to dig into this and uh, and and more as we continue to you know see in an era unlike anything else of player movement uh, the way that these things are coming together winners and losers who ended up uh, being on top I I wonder as you were just spending some time with many of the coaches uh, at college football you know how much you know draft draft declaration sweats do you think the average like if i was to ask you to take all of the the coaches that you've been speaking with uh here in recent weeks how much of that do you think comes as surprise how much of it do you think is something that they sweat you know like how, how much concern do you think it has uh, for some of these coaches when it comes to these decisions that that we've seen not just over the last couple weeks but really over the last month or so I would say the, the average staff probably has, I don't know, one to two. And that's not necessarily always, hey, I really hope this guy who should go to the NFL decides to come back. I'm actually shooting a video on this for 24-7 Sports tomorrow after we get done doing two Cover 3 podcasts. But sometimes guys go pro for other reasons as well, right? Um, sometimes you run out of classes you can pass, which is a reality of of the sport that we play in college football where you have to have the college part of college football, even if it's nominally at, at, at a certain point, you have to take classes that involve your major. And sometimes the reading load is just too high for some of these guys who have sort of been kind of, you know, shepherded through some of their, um, some of their, their easier general, classes. Like the general studies majors and, and right. you know, you get a lot of 100, 200, 300 to cross the board, fulfill everything you need to do. And sometimes these guys, they have family situations where they have to go. Like, could they make more money if they waited the year? Yes. But for them, the prospect of getting out, getting drafted or not, but at least getting a shot to be on a practice squad where you can make some pretty good money 
if you're if you can act like a professional and and be a good practice squad guy, I think they make like seventy something. Um, you know that that's a real a real lure, uh, which is totally understandable in some circumstances. So I would say the sweat per team is probably greater than people realize because a lot of people think, oh, it's this you know, Sunbelt team. They're not going to have anybody who seriously should go pro. Uh, should go pro meaning get drafted? I, I agree. Uh, should go pro meaning considering all their family situations. I think there's probably more than people realize, which also plays into NIL because I think we're going to see quite a bit of new NIL deals announced in the coming months for guys who were maybe fringe draft prospects who should come back and just need a little uh, enticement to go ahead and stay on the team. Of course, that's not what NIL is supposed to be used for. It's only chipped for their marketing value uh, to these uh, to these great advertisers that they're securing. But yeah, I think NIL is a nice uh, talent uh, retaining tool. Yeah, so I, I was just, you know, I, I introduced the topic. I'm sorry to spring it on you. Sometimes at least a really good conversation. No, no, I've been thinking so I like it. that. But I think that if if a head coach is doing his job, he should have a pretty good read on his players. He should have a pretty good beat on, you know, their academic situation, their family situation, you know, what their goals are, how they would view an opportunity to go and be a practice squad player versus how they would view, you know, I imagine myself as a, NFL draft pick or a day one, day two NFL draft pick. We're going to talk about some players here in this episode that are coming back and the messaging that they're giving is, you know, I want to improve. I, you know, I know there's these areas of my game that are going to be able to make me uh, more profitable uh, as soon as I go pro pretty much right off the jump. Uh, First, a little bit of housekeeping situation, uh, a little bit of housekeeping for the listeners. You mentioned we've got two uh, podcasts that we're recording on Thursday. One of them will be live. 11 a.m. Thursday. Uh, it is going to be a mailbag episode, so make sure that you get your mailbag questions in. How do you do that? Five-star review, and in that review, put your mailbag question. We'll be knocking out mailbag live, and if you want to come and join it, you know the audience participation is something that we haven't always had in our mailbag episodes, but I think it's something that we're very much entertaining here in uh, the off-season. So come and join us for a mailbag live Thursday, 11 a.m. Then, later... Uh, you will be recording uh, a conversation with Matt Brown. And like he is at the, uh, I'll go ahead and let's check it. He's at the NCAA convention. And what are some of the things that listeners can expect from, from that show, which I think we're going to post on Friday morning uh, first thing for, uh, for the audio listeners and as well on the YouTube channel. Yeah. So w- the, the conversation with Matt, I think it's going to be really fun. Um, there's a lot of sort of technical things. The NCAA does rules. They want to get proposed or rules. They want to get passed. Uh, maybe have a vote to give more power uh, to the to the P5 commissioners and a little bit less to the top level NCAA leadership. We'll see how, how that thing goes down. And he's a, he's there talking, much like I did at the coaches convention, talking to the coaches. He's there talking to administrators and convert commissioners, athletic directors, people of that ilk, uh, and seeing what they see uh, as the major issues for this sport. I'm interested to ask him, hey, like, what are they going to bitch about and what are they going to actually be able to get past, which is a similar question that I asked to a lot of the coaches there uh, in San Antonio. And, of course, the differences on those things are, are oftentimes pretty substantial. But, so I think it's going to be a fun conversation. I'm sure he'll be able to tell us about some stuff that they really want to get past. But maybe they'll have the votes. And then we'll get down to the nitty gritty and say, like, hey, what, what changes can we real, really see coming to the sport in the next year? Big picture stuff. Um I am glad that we have him because I yeah. I can't really wrap my mind around it right now. You know, I'm I'm jumping on CBS Sports HQ, firing off college hoops winners four and one yesterday on my there little chip slip. So like, you know, I I 
I'm already juggling a lot right now. The, the idea of big picture NCAA legislation, a new constitution and those things. I'm very thankful that we've got uh, our friends and our resources to be able to bring to you, the listeners, because I'm more than happy to admit that it's a it's some depth I just can't reach right now. But it is important and it absolutely is going to shape the future of college athletics. Uh, over the weekend, we started and really into this week, we've, we've seen a lot of transfer portal buzz. And, and when we get everything settled a little bit, we will also be looking at uh, you know some of the winners and losers of the transfer portal, uh, the way that things are looking heading into spring practice. But if there's a team that needed, like capital N needed some transfer portal help, it is Brian Kelly's LSU Tigers. So uh, a few that have stood out to me, we saw Noah Kane flashed as a freshman at Penn State, suffered that injury, season-ending injury right at the beginning of the 2020 season that never really uh, settled in in the 2021 season, but clearly somebody with a very high ceiling. He committed to LSU over the weekend. Uh, They brought in defensive back Greg Brooks, who I think is going to be able to help a secondary that, based on my count, only has like two scholarship players right now. still around from last year's team. And then on Tuesday, we got Missouri defensive tackle Makai Wingo. I know that's not all, but when I'm looking at teams that needed action on the transfer portal and have been creating headlines, it certainly looks like LSU is one. I think LSU has done a really nice job over the last couple of days. They are currently our number one uh, transfer portal team on the 24-7 sports transfer portal team rankings. Um, Noah Kane. I like Noah Kane. I mean, like I'm biased here. I, I covered him at IMG when, when when he was coming up. He's a kid, you know, from from Louisiana, and I, the question on him was always speed. And then he got hurt, so I'm sure he you know probably lost a little bit more. But he's a guy who who will pass pro. He can catch the ball a little bit. I think he he can still be a, a, a tough runner for you between the tackles. If he regains some of that explosiveness, but then LSU maybe found the gym. Obviously, with with the guys that Penn State have signed at running back, I don't think he was going to be able to get much playing time there in Happy Valley. Uh, nice job on the offensive line as well with with, with Miles Frazier, and then um, oh shoot, the kid from from uh, from ETSU, uh, Traymond Shorts that they took. I think they're they're doing a decent job rebuilding that secondary is still a concern there, obviously because they've lost several key players to to the draft slash the transfer portal. Uh, but getting Makai Wingo, as you mentioned as well, from Missouri, who uh, could be a you know, a guy who's a nice penetrator for you, a little bit undersized defensive lineman. I know we have a 94 grade on him in the transfer portal, which makes him one of the top transfers uh, who was available on the market. I also like this kid, Wes Weeks. Um, we only put three stars on him, but I I know a lot of personnel guys who thought very highly of Wes Weeks, and um, he could be a really good linebacker for them as well, I, I think. So... Yeah, uh, LSU, nice job in the transfer portal over the last week, and and man, their fans, their fans needed it because they were flipping out. What what is Brian Kelly doing? We're not getting anybody in the transfer portal in the last week. They're like, boom, watch this. Is there, is it fair to say that LSU, um, like, I'm going to have lowered expectations for LSU based on what LSU ceiling is, but I still have this very admittedly lazy high floor evaluation where I just, I just think it's impossible for us to see a bottom fallout four and eight, five and seven kind of scenario in Brian Kelly year one. So even as we face all these personnel challenges, it, when the transfer portal news continues to just stack up, it's not that I'm celebrating it, but I'm at least saying like, see, I it's LSU, it's Brian Kelly. Like they, they are going to figure out a way 
to be sustainable, I guess I could say. And even if you have on paper all these personnel issues, there's just so much confidence that we are not going to see a team that is going to struggle week in and week out, even in the hyper-competitive SEC. I, I think I agree with you. I mean, I, I don't know that they're going to compete for the West next year. Uh, no, I, I don't think they're going to finish last in the West. That's And I'm, before this week, I kind of thought they might have. Oh, Because okay. of the, the, the pieces that they were losing. Uh, but the timing, when you bring in guys, it doesn't really matter as long as you get them in. And especially if you get them in for spring, it's a nice bonus. But their roster looks a heck of a lot better. I mean, how, how many of these guys that they're taking in the portal are, are going to start? I mean, they've signed, what? 11 transfer portal guys half over under of like six and a half probably yeah i would think and more to come too most likely yeah i think they they have room for a couple more i i think they've they've got to get one of those cornerback cornerback spots locked down demarius mcgee uh i guess is cornerback number one and what what's your i don't know what you're reading on him is what like six one one ninety four star prospects probably pretty good but Brooks is probably more of the nickel with Flot leaving and transferring out. So you, you, he, and I guess Brooks is either safety or a nickel. They, they also lost McGlothern, uh, who transferred, I believe, to Arkansas. And I, mm-hmm. I, I like Dwight. I mean, I know he had, he had some misses, but he, but he also had some really good plays for them. He was somebody who I thought kept playing hard down the stretch. So that, that was kind of one of the reasons why entering, uh, like leaving the convention, I was not super high on LSU and over the last week or so that the guys they've taken uh, have, have improved my mood on them. Jaleel Billingsley. Uh, there was a whole flood of Alabama announcements that all came out on uh, Sunday or Saturday. It was, I think it was Sunday. Jaleel Billingsley uh, transferring to Texas, I think being the most notable also Paul Tyson transferring to uh, Arizona state. That would be bear Bryant's great grandson. For those who remember those references from throughout the season, uh, Billingsley, the, the one that sort of takes the headline for me and easy connection to understand why it happened with Steve Sarkeesian and also Jeff Banks having that relationship with Billingsley going back to their time at Alabama. But I, I wonder I wonder if you if you look at Billingsley as someone who is going to not only land at Texas and be able to answer a need for them, which I agree that the tight end position could use someone of Billingsley's cal- caliber, but do you expect for him to be a, a real game changer for the Longhorns and at the Big 12 level? I mean, if he couldn't fit in culturally at Bama, do we think Tex- Texas culture is at a spot to where uh, he's going to be a fit? I don't know, man. I mean, he was in the doghouse how many times? I know I've and got the, just the disappointment. I've always had doubts uh, on on him for for that reason. Uh, even back to some of the effort that I saw in some of the recruiting camps. So he just, came on strong. I was surprised he was as good as he was in 2020, based on what I saw before I started working for 24/7 Sports at some of the camps, like the effort level, that so, some of the attitude stuff. I just didn't love, and that's not always an indicator of how the player is going to be, because again. They're kids, right? It wasn't a positive indicator. It doesn't doom you if, to me, it looks like you're kind of dogging it out there. Uh, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, wow, I'm surprised that they were able to get production out of that guy that quickly based on what I saw out of him in, in 2019 at camps. However, it seems like some issues reemerged there at Bama. I'll go back to this quote from Nick Saban uh, in April of 2021. Quote, I don't think our good players are going to be leaving to the portal. He said, 
but I think we'll be able to get some good players to join us when we have room to do that. So he's 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 saying anybody who's leaving not a good player. Now this is not strictly about Billingsley. Obviously, this right, is a right. year before, uh, or, you know, nine months ago. But you know, he, he I think he's pretty consistent in his comments that we'll see how the guys who leave Bama uh, do elsewhere. Jerome Ford was great for Cincinnati. He was. Um, Drew Sanders landed at Arkansas. I think that's a pretty good get for them with Chris Allen coming back. Chris Allen did come back for Alabama, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, I and think that's be a good get. Also Jordan Battle. Actually, we don't need to tease that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> how, how do you have how, how you got Alabama and as a winner and a loser? <laughs> um, I I think that uh, Billingsley. So his you mentioned twenty twenty. It was however. All Back his, half of the season, he got his hot. coordinator is still matched up, right? Because remember who coordinated that that twenty twenty Bama team? Like, if if you want to play the devil's advocate here, it's Sark was a guy who used him very effectively, mm-hmm. and now Sark likes using him, and we think Texas receivers are going to be pretty nasty this year. Uh, he should get a lot of one on one looks. They need maybe, middle of the field help. Yeah, maybe Sark believes, and well, there's no maybe. Clearly, Sark believes that this is worth the risk because he extended the scholarship and he believes you can use him in that system. Uh, if things go well, I think maybe it could snowball and go well. But what if they start losing a couple games? What if he has some games where he's not getting targeted as much? How does he react, right? Does he give you good effort on blocking? I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical. Yeah, it was all back half of the season. He got hot. Sark obviously was dialing up some good plays for him, caught a couple touchdowns, um, was very much a part of that 2020 offense. Bill O'Brien comes in. My brain goes, hey, pro-style guy is going to find ways to get this tight end all the looks that you know you, he could possibly have. It's going to be an explosion season for him. As you mentioned, he ends up getting passed by Cameron Latu as really that tight end number one position. And when he was called on uh, this season, it, it has been disappointing uh, at times. So very also, how often does Nick call a guy out like publicly? I mean, it's not that often. He usually keeps most of the discipline stuff in-house, but he was not shy of talking about what Billingsley needed to do to to be a, an effective player for them this year in the preseason. Remember? I mean, it was I, early I do, on. I do not remember. I'm, I'm going to trust your reference on that, but the uh, he, it is infrequent that he's going to make anything other than a vague reference to we've got some guys that blah, 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 blah. But, you know, Billingsley was targeted by us and many others as somebody who could be a breakout player. So it's always interesting when our dumb little brains figure out who's going to have the explosive, explosive season. And then, you know, head coach comes in there and he's like, Oh yeah, I understand that y'all think this guy's going to have a huge season, but I'm with them all the time. I see him in practice. I see him, you know, going through all these other team activities and I, I don't think he's got it or I don't think this is going to be it, or he needs to fix these things if he's going to be this player that y'all are cracking him up to be. Exactly. I, I, think, that's, I think that's right. Hunter Johnson's going back to Clemson. Uh, Chubba Purdy to Nebraska. What, anything else from the transfer portal before we uh, hit the break and get into some, some NFL draft declaration talk? I mean, I, I, would, uh, I, I know Oklahoma was in on the Chubba Purdy thing too, uh, which surprised me when, when I got tipped to that, that they were interested I think a, a change of scenery could benefit Chubba Purdy, uh, but I clearly Oklahoma was targeting him as a backup or as maybe a future guy down the line. Uh, Nebraska did not get the same quality of 
other quarterback. It took Casey Thompson out of Texas uh, that Oklahoma has so far. But I still imagine that that is sort of a, a reset thing there for, for Purdy and that Nebraska would likely be targeting Thompson uh, to start. If we recall, uh, FSU staff knew that Jordan Travis was not going to play in that game against – trying to think who this was against. might have been NC State because he, he, had, he had an illness. Uh, and Purdy dipped out knowing that he could play in the game potentially, but he wasn't going to start because Mackenzie Milton, who is gimpy as heck still, like obviously, you know, that tragic injury, they were going to start Mackenzie Milton over him, and he knew that. So I think that is a reflection on where Purdy is at this point in his career. He was a highly rated recruit and still has some physical talents, he also really struggled with injuries himself. He had the broken collarbone, and then they had to go in, I believe, and do a second procedure on that collarbone, which I believe hampered his progress. So a, a clean restart somewhere else uh, probably makes some sense, and I, I hope the kid does well. Uh, but I would expect that Casey Thompson is the starter there for Nebraska, and maybe Purdy is somebody, a bit of a reclamation project maybe down the line can work out for the Cornhuskers. Coming up on the other side, the NFL draft early entry deadline has passed. Let's get into which programs got a little bit of boost, which programs now have uh, some big-time concerns. NFL draft deadline winners and losers next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, so we both put together our lists. Um, do you want to you want to tackle teams with ones that we, we both have? Or do you want to start with losers, winners? Chef's choice here. Let's go. Let's just go winners and, and start positive and then, and then we can kind of go... Go negative. I, I do want to ask you a couple questions of, of kind of how you constructed your list. I, sure. I, this year is the first year that it really felt uh, felt different to me. Um, so, if in looking at some of these lists, some of these guys, some of these lists have guys who were COVID or super seniors rather, uh, or who could be super seniors 
who have elected not to use that extra year of eligibility. And I think more sites out there decided to not include folks like that. So it's kind of guys you're losing to the draft, but I think specifically here, the point of this episode is more guys you're losing to the draft early, right? So Hutchinson at Michigan could have come back, but clearly has a brain, so he's not <laughs> going to do that. Uh, and the rest of the Big Ten is is ever, ever so grateful for him deciding to do as such. Uh, I'm counting like just guys who were um, who were like legit underclassmen in mind. I, I assume you're doing the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could be a four year player, but if your bio says junior beside it, okay, right, then I consider you the traditional NFL draft underclassman. Like before, we had you no know, the 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 weaponization of the red shirt, you know, before we've had the COVID year, traditionally it is the, the underclassmen in the NFL draft were juniors. And then the regular entries were seniors in the previous college football season. Of course, now we've got them as red shirt sophomores. You know, we've got the juniors, the red shirt juniors, but I still think that all of those to me, by my definition, still fit the underclassmen to your point, Aiden Hutchinson is classified by Michigan as a senior. Therefore, I did not consider him an underclassman, even if he still had uh, another year of eligibility. The other thing I, I wanted to point out here is I, I try to do this a little bit with some relativity on it. So you could list Bama and Georgia as a loser every single year that because they recruit so well and they send so many guys to the NFL. So I kind of think of it as like, how much are you losing relative to your team and, and relative to like how good you normally are? Right to, to find programs that are really going to be affected in one way or another uh, compared to their sort of normal baseline, if, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I've got Georgia as a winner. Okay, cool. Let's, let's go ahead and like jump into it because yeah. I, like, I think that right off the bat, the one player who stands out as like you are going to come back next season and we are going to look at you potentially as a star, it, not only because of what you did, but just because of – you know, the way that we are talking about the Georgia defense and the way that we talked about N'Kobe Dean, Nolan Smith, who's an outside linebacker, uh, just like N'Kobe Dean, who finished in the top five in tackles, tackles for loss, uh, who had a monster game against Michigan, who has been a, a top five-star prospect, you know, all the way through. The talent's been through the roof. Nolan Smith, after playing with the team for a couple years, is, is coming back for a senior, a true senior season Instead of joining his, uh, instead of joining Nicobe Dean, instead of joining Zamir White, instead of uh, you know joining the rest of that Georgia group that did decide to enter early, he's back. Uh, Chris Smith is back. I think that Georgia being able to get those high quality players when otherwise you're seeing so much exodus. Quay Walker was a senior. Jordan Davis was a senior. Devontae Wyatt was a senior. To have a to have this not be a total exodus, man, that kind of seems like a little bit of a win for the Bulldogs. I, I agree. I, I had them on my list as, as like a slight winner, just relative to who could have gone pro because they have they have some of those guys coming back who you mentioned, who if they did go pro, like they could get drafted just based on how they're going to test. Georgia has pretty good strength conditioning program, obviously, and those guys are going to test very well. I think whenever they do go to the combine, so I think it makes sense to have them as a winner. Um, who else you got, Chip? Alabama. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get some guys back. You, you, you get Allen back. Remember, uh, he was very highly thought of and had that that uh, sack fumble in the opening game against Miami. 
before uh, before he got hurt. Jordan Battle is Jordan back. Battle. Uh, I think that's another one that's very very significant. So here, how did you uh, classify? Um, let's see, one, two. Yeah, Henry Toto. So he was not great for them this year. Uh, I, I would say, like Georgia picked on him pretty hard. That they, they tried to avoid Christian Harris where they could, and they really targeted Toto. And I, I tweeted like, "Hey, if we're playing find the duck, sometimes you find the duck in the run game." And the duck was Toto in that game. They they blasted him. Um, Bama, of course, part of that's Bama's D line didn't always keep some of those Georgia offensive linemen off him. But I, I think it's better. Like he started for you, which is probably a reflection on who else you have in your linebacker room right now that you feel good about. Getting a guy back who was one of the few dudes you actually used a spot on in the transfer portal in the 2021 signing class, I think that has to be counted as a win. Clearly, they believe in the guy, and there's nothing that says he can't improve. He should be one of their better linebackers this, this year coming back if, if he can kind of make a jump. I I don't know if he's going to be one of their better linebackers, but he's uh, that's somebody who would have tested well, right? I think so, but I mean, I don't know, man. I thought he was better than than how he played this year. Like, I, I, I think him coming back is good on the experience level, and also because he was starting for you, which means you didn't feel like the guys behind him were better. It's not like Saban is scared to throw in true freshmen and start them if if, if he likes them. So, um, I just think the experience factor there. I, I don't know, man. He just. I wasn't well, is, in love with what he did this year. So, there, so Alabama cuts the other way. You know, there is some some loser to it, which is kind of fun about these these programs that do have uh, top stars coming back because you also are uh, John Mechie. Uh, I have as, as classified as an underclassman. I've got Jameson Williams classified as an underclassman. Him being a, a junior this past season, you lose uh, both Evan Neal on one side, uh, underclassman. But then Chris Owens is not an underclassman. He expired his eligibility. But now we've got two tackles to replace. We've got two wide receivers to replace. There is a little bit of, you know, uh-oh, okay. I mean, uh, Bryce Young can fix everything we hope. And J.C. Latham, you know, got a little bit of work in. You know, it was mostly special teams. But then because of injury, got to play a little bit, I believe, in the Cotton Bowl. We think that Tommy Brockermeyer, who didn't end up seeing the field, is going to be able to live up to that, you know, top six overall prospect. Like there is talent at a lot of these spots, but Alabama's not a loser. But I at least wanted to flag that offensive side of the ball as something that could be uh, very interesting to watch, where the Heisman Trophy winner from 2021 can certainly solve a lot of your problems. But when we're talking about the margins for Alabama and the expectations that we have, there's a lot of, you know, we need these guys to step up either at the wide receiver position or along the offensive line. When did, uh, when did they get Jamison Williams in May, right? That was post spring. Mm-hmm. I, if you're, if you're Bama, I, I don't think Bama is going to be done here in the portal, by the way. Like, I think they're going to survey what they have in spring, see how they look and then probably go pluck a guy or two. Must be nice. Must be really, really nice. Uh, who else is on your winners list? Okay, so I, I have a couple here. Uh, I actually think Oregon. Um, this is this is kind of that combo thing of they did have some guys who were draft eligible to come back. I think they have four starters back on the offensive line, uh, which could help them out quite a bit. You lose Kayvon Thibodeau, which is a loss, 
But to me, it's more of like a theoretical loss from what they could have had because he was injured quite a bit in his career there at Oregon. And when he was on the field, he was an impact guy. Uh, but they didn't lose quite as many impact guys as I thought they potentially could have lost. Uh, and in looking at their roster, I'm actually kind of bullish on this Oregon team uh, entering the 2022 season. And I also had I had Tennessee. Hendon uh, Hooker, look, you know my thoughts on, on that Baylor-style offense that they run. It's basically a cheat code in college football. But he is good at running that offense. And he missed, I think, part of camp or whatever, and there's a reason why they didn't start him over Joe Milton. Uh, but once he got in there, that was a very good offense, both in terms of raw numbers and in terms of like opponent-adjusted, pace-adjusted stuff. They were still really efficient. You get Tillman back. Uh, you get the offensive line, Calvin back. Uh, they got some dudes there to where that could be a team. And could they finish second in the East? Yeah. Uh, yes. I, I'm willing to entertain three, four teams for that second in the East position. I'm just. Are you willing really... to entertain anybody else for first? No. What if they start Stetson Bennett again? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just. I don't know. If they start Stetson Bennett. Uh, well, let's save that conversation for when everybody else is here. <laughs> um, I've got Iowa. Uh, Jack Campbell, the nation's yes. leading tackler, decided that he's going to return. They also bring back Riley Moss, who is one of the best cornerbacks in the entire country. You lose Tyler Goodson, um, which is significant and you know, very, very good running back for them. But for uh, for you to be able to retain uh, two just super, super productive and reliable parts of the back half of that Iowa defense. Defensive coordinator Phil Parker has got to feel joyed that he he at least can trust exactly what's going to happen uh, from, from those two stars. So I wanted to uh, make sure we highlight Iowa for picking up some draft deadline wins. And uh, Iki Iquanu might be a, a top 10 pick, but NC State's got a lot back. And again, this is another situation where I'm, I don't think anybody was going to be making the kind of arguments for, you know, Devin Carter uh, or, you know, Thayer Thomas or like Peyton Wilson coming off an injury that, uh, or Drake Thomas. Like, I, I don't think that any of these individual players are going to necessarily be targeted as a, as a first or second round NFL draft pick, but the strength and conditioning program that uh, Thunder Dan runs in Raleigh is top notch and you can just see by the linemen that they've been putting out right now and so you Devin Leary also announces that he's going to come back there is a I mentioned Peyton Wilson earlier we thought he could be an All-American this year had that injury very very early on he's going to be back so they've got difference makers kind of at all the different positions all the different position groups they do lose both of their running backs Ricky Person Jr. and Bam Knight but overall I, I look at NC State as a, as a plus value in terms of uh, what could have been, like the relativity that you talk about. There were players who probably could have gone, tested well, been day three draft picks, uh, and decided that they were going to uh, you know, just go ahead and wrap up their college careers. To have all of them, or many of them, coming back, I think is, uh, is notable and something that's good for the Wolfpack in 22. For sure. Uh, so... I am proud. Like, I was NC State guy preseason for 2021. I agree that they deserve to be a winner on this list. Also, I was looking at some of the stuff Jared Lee did. I believe that NC State uh, led the Power Five in win probability lost by making the wrong fourth down decision. So, if you want to know, like, damn, how did they underperform their talent as far as their record somewhat, which I think they kind of did by like a game, um, 
that was one of the reasons why. So just some really horrendous punting and field goal decisions there by Doran in some of those close games. So maybe they get that fixed. Could I make an argument that losing the running backs will help them be better because they'll stop trying to run the ball so damn much and actually sling it around a little bit? When they're when all of their success rates and EPAs are so much better when they're not just banging their head against see, I like I, I just gotta tell you, it's lovable. It's it it is going all the way in on the hand in the dirt ideology. Like if you were really going to preach that everywhere, then establish the run, even when it's not successful, is uh is right up there with some so some real real old school hard hat mentality. Yeah, which is, you know. It didn't hurt you as much back when when everybody was doing it, but now that people are realizing passing is more efficient if you're good at it, and I do think they have a quarterback who's probably going to get drafted. Uh, not this year, obviously, because he's coming back. But yeah, uh, you got to, you know. So you're, you're just already sticking your claim. He's like, I I don't trust. I, I, I am not buying them preseason two years in a row. Okay. Probably. I, well, I guess look, you got to see the price, right? It's all it's always team and price, but uh, yeah, I, I think. This year was probably the year to, to jump on those guys for their win total, uh, especially because ESPN put them eighth in the preseason. So we may see a win total of like nine-ish, and I'm like, eh, I'm not going to be betting over on that. Um, I have two that I had solidly in the winner's column, and then now I think I'm probably just going to move them to the neutral column, if I can share. All right. Uh, Boston College. Because you, you get, get to COVID. You get your COVID back. You get Flowers back. Uh, but they did lose Vrabel uh, to the draft. So kind of a loss there, I think. Um, so slight winner that you get your Kovic back. Uh, I think it's a smart move on his part to come back, actually, because you can get some, some more tape. And I, I think they're a well-coached team. And doing uh, it with Flowers. I mean, that's just yeah. like the, the that's the connection right there. The other one I had in the likely winner's column uh, was UCLA. Uh, but then Justin Fry, the offensive line coach, left for Ohio State to be reunited with Ryan Day, uh, and then shortly after that, Sean Ryan, who arguably the best player on their team, their their uh, their starting tackle, he did go ahead and declare for the draft. So I kind of moved them from winner uh, to neutral. They do get DTR back. If you want to call that a win, uh, fine. Yikes. I think. I mean, look, I think it's very evident what they feel about him because they went out and got Dylan Gabriel for several hours. I've got UCLA. My note says UCLA is interesting. Could be winner, could be loser. You lose Kyle Phillips and Greg Dulcich. Uh, like Greg Dulcich was probably your best pass catcher. Kyle Phillips, obviously former five star recruit. You imagine, you know, high ceiling. Um, then, but you get DTR back. So, what's what? What is the wash there? It's, pro- it's probably a little bit more neutral. What do you? What's your read on USC? Because I've got them as a loser for the. It's like they are a loser specifically for the NFL draft early entry deadline, but I am not going to call them an off-season loser if it includes getting Lincoln Riley, you know, getting uh, Alex Grinch, getting Caleb Williams, you know, getting all these uh, all former Oklahoma commits or Oklahoma players, Mario Williams uh, being the latest. So uh, I am saying for this conversation exclusively, that Drake Jackson, Drake London, Isaac Taylor Stewart, and Chris Steele are four very, very talented players with projections and prospect ratings that suggest that if they had all decided like, hey man, we love the hire, we love the way this is going, we want to stick around and be a part of it, 
Drake London, when healthy, is one of the best uh, wide receivers in the entire country. Drake Jackson, one of the best pass rushers in the Pac-12. Uh, Taylor Stewart and Chris Steele. Man, I, I feel like USC has just been pumping out under per, uh, off the top of my head. I think USC has been pumping out some underperforming defensive back talent for the last couple of years. I think that's fair. And so sure. you know, if all those players played to their prospect ratings and decided to stick around – then USC would be talking about like, whoa, this is Lincoln is showing up. He's got he gonna all he's got to do is get this thing rolling. So for this conversation exclusively, I've got USC as a loser because of losing those four players among others. Um, my next loser actually is Vatek. Have you seen uh, all the guys that they're losing? I I have not, and I have been. Um, I've gotten too used to the fluidity of the Virginia Tech roster because of the way the Justin Fuente era went. Like I, I almost for Virginia Tech, even like pre-spring check-in, post-spring check-in, Virginia Tech was almost that like, hey, yeah, send me the media guide, then I'll believe that your roster is set. And even then, who knows? They they, they got some guys who were were pretty good players for them. You know, Jermaine Waller, Trey Turner. Uh, they they lose Mitchell to the, to the draft. Uh, Amari Barno's gone. Blackshear, Hoffman, Tenuta. I mean that. For a team that has recruited poorly in recent years, that's a lot. That's a lot to lose. Yeah. yeah, I. All right. Early over under for you. Combined ACC wins for the Virginia schools next year. Five and a half. Over. Because they both are in the coastal and will get Duke and Georgia Tech. One of them's got to beat each other. So now we're at three. And I think they can go get three more between the two of them. Okay. But it made you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With without a doubt. I was I was having to sit there and I was like, okay. Um, you know, they've Virginia's cross division is Louisville, which you know, who knows? They do get Cunningham back. Virginia Tech's, I think, is Boston College. Maybe that's an L. I don't know. I, I think that's as much of a coin flip, especially here in January. Probably but, depends on where it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll say I'll say over because ultimately the uh what the bar that you need to reach, you need to be at least this high to ride this ride to win two ACC games, I think is low. And they get one against each other. Right. So I don't know what, what's what's your read on it. Like, obviously, we just came up with it right here. I think so. you, I think UVA might be really bad. Oh, like uh, like oh and oh and eight type situation. Um, one and seven. I mean, I think their range is probably like zero to four. If they won five ACC games, I'd be fairly shocked. Um, yes, I mean, like they I lose agree. a lot of starting offensive linemen to the portal. You lose a lot of key skill guys. Defensively, they were really pretty bad. Um, I'm concerned about. I I don't think that's a, a good situation to be taking over. Pitt probably coming back to earth a little bit. Miami. So we well, talked about Pitt yesterday in in our Slack chat on twenty four seven. Like, are they underrated or overrated? Like, I think that if you tell me they're fifteenth or fortieth. I got no qualms with that. Like, there's a whole bunch of teams that. That's that because the difference between that. 15th and 40th is good luck. Correct. 20, 25 is an arbitrary number. Yeah. And, like, 
oftentimes the difference is like in my ratings between like 15th and 40th is not that much. Um, yeah, Brennan Armstrong landed where? Uh, where did he go? Uh, did he? I thought he. I thought he. He decided He's to stay. Back? Yeah. Ooh. Gonna stick around for the. Uh, yeah, he's staying put for the beginning of the Tony Elliott era. All right. We'll see. We'll see how that works. We'll see how that works. Uh, do you count Michigan as a loser? Because Hutchinson obviously was a senior, so like he's one of those soups. Everybody knows he was going to go. Uh, they lose Dax Hill. They lose Ajabo. They lose Chris Hinton. Those are some impact guys for them, for sure. Um, but they don't lose a ton of guys. You know what I mean? A to, ton the, of, to the uh, early, early, early right. So they lose a lot of seniors, though. The defense was built on seniors, graduate students. You know, a lot of a lot of names, including Hutchinson, that do not qualify for the early entry discussion. But I thought that Tom made a great point about Dax Hill on here, where he was so unique as a defender that it really allowed them to build their defense around, and not just him. I mean, having freaking Hutchinson and Jabo creates lots and lots of problems. But in terms of the way the the back end of that Michigan defense worked, the versatility of Hill from that sort of nickelback position um, was important. And so I would agree with you that Michigan's a loser, especially if we expand the conversation beyond our limited parameters and say, look, Hill and Ajabo are underclassmen who have declared and are both studs. That is a loss. But also the rest of the defense. I mean, we only got like one or two starters back for the Wolverines defensively next year. So that is, it's something to, uh, to keep an eye on, particularly as we reset Michigan for 2022. For sure. Um, I've heard more. Is that easy? I think Purdue is easy, but needs to be said. Needs to be said that if you lose the two, if you lose the two surefire studs, the guy who your offense ran through and the guy who your defense, like, Basically, every every opponent for Purdue was double or triple teaming George Karloftis every time that I turned my eyes to it. So when you take those players out, it becomes much more difficult to run both your offense and your defense. Had to throw Purdue on here. I debated throwing Kentucky on there, but I'm not going to. But lo- losing Wandale is a big deal. Um, I mean, if you saw the bowl game, that was kind of their offense. Uh, they oh, also David Bell esque, you know? Yeah. Uh, one I, I think I will throw on here, and I think a couple of these guys are actually just super seniors who decided they couldn't come back or, you know, who decided to not come back. But you you lose Brees Hall. Uh, mm-hmm. You lose Mike Rose. You lose the D tackle. Uh, you get Will McDonald back. I, if you're Matt Campbell, I think you're very happy you signed that extension because, like, you, I think, quite frankly, that the 20 and 21 seasons were your window. Just welcoming the Iowa State fights again, but like, but I, I, I might be on Iowa State this year. Like, doesn't this seem like the type of team that Matt Campbell's going to overachieve with? Yes, a bunch of guys who have been in this program who most of the college ball fans don't know their names, and Vegas sets their win total back down to like five, and and they exceed it. And you know, if it's five, five, I'm hammering over. I think that the um, not looking at the schedule. That was hypothetical. Like, I I haven't done a projection on but yeah you know what i mean like like yeah. something low who do they play in 2022 this is you, kind of a fun exercise you throw you throw uh 
Because it's the Iowa State or Matt Campbell as a dog. Take it on a game-by-game -game principle. Matt Campbell as a dog versus Matt Campbell as a favorite. The splits right. speak for themselves. Oh, they also get the thing where uh, where one of their road games is Kansas, which is always a big advantage in the Big 12 because like Kansas doesn't have much of a home field advantage, and you should beat Kansas. I think there's Kansas is still in that range where you should be beating them pretty much in your sleep, uh, even if you're Iowa State, just based on how he's built the program up. The non-con is Ohio, Southeast Missouri, and of course at Iowa. And this is one of the years where they get one, two, three, four. They only have to play four conference road games, which means they get five conference home games. Uh, remember, it alternates every other year in the Big 12. And one of those conference road games is Kansas. So the only three times that they're going to leave, you know, le le leave Iowa City at Texas. Ames. At Oklahoma State, excuse me, I said Iowa City. I'm going to get some hate mail on that. Um, at Texas, at Oklahoma State, at TCU. Oklahoma comes to town. West Virginia comes to town. Tech comes to town. Kansas State comes to town. Baylor comes to town. And Baylor comes to town early. So Yeah, I'm, I think that it is undoubtedly a, a loser based on the the players that went. But you, you've got a good point here in terms of, it's like when all the headlines are negative, this is when we buy in on the Iowa State train. And don't, and don't sweat that. I hope you don't get any hate mail. I was you know, 23 years old, just a, a year or two out of being a, at you know, North Carolina, writing about Big Ten football, way out of my depth. And, and I said that the University of Iowa was in Des Moines. You know, I just <laughs> I messed oh, it no. up. You know, <laughs> learned via hate mail very, very quickly, and we got it corrected, thankfully. But uh, but I've, I've I've learned since then. Um, I've seen him listed on two different lists, but I thought he was a senior. Is Perrion Winfrey does he count as an as an underclassman going pro for Oklahoma? Because they they lose Benito, they they lose Winfrey is gone. But like I I don't know you know what uh, uh, if he actually counted as an underclassman. Um, I don't. He was a uh, he was a senior on for Oklahoma okay. according to Oklahoma. Uh, in addition to, I mean, you know, coming out of JUCO, then you do two years. Seems seems like he's on track for the uh, for for being a, a traditional NFL draft entrant. Makes sense. Did, were you did, thinking about Oklahoma as a loser? No, uh, maybe a little bit, but but I, I feel like there's a team we're going to need to have further discussion on w when we do the portal show. I, mm -hmm. I would think um, one team I. They have a lot of guys, but I don't know that they're like huge impact guys. Is is Utah? They lose Britton Covey, they lose Nick Ford, they lose uh, one of their tight ends, Cole Fordingham, Pledger, uh, Nip Asul, one of the backers, and uh, Tafua, one of the edge guys. Like I still kind of like this team for next year. Wow. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> so he was uh, this interesting was classified by Utah as a junior, but he was a senior bowl invite and has 47 career games with 32 starts. So like Utah did the weird thing where they were already counting your COVID year for Devin Lloyd, even uh, prior to this. Okay. So that's why some of these guys show up on these lists. Yeah. So yeah. confusing. I, it, I feel 
I feel so bad for everybody who had to put together these lists because there's no way that you had all the right answers. It no used way. to just be, uh, used to just be Notre Dame, like who, you know, lists like what year you are in school not what year you are eligibility wise on, on their, their depth chart. And then Michigan just stopped putting out depth charts. And, um, now, now it's some of these, some of these max schools, like we don't even put out a spring roster anymore, which is really great. Like good job promoting your program there. Um, guys, but yeah, man, off season roster, uh, Bingo is is very exciting to play. Uh, do we have any update on who Miami's going to hire? I was going to say, speaking of the Mac, all right, so I we are sitting here recording uh, for time purposes. We're sitting here recording on Wednesday. It's about 11.30 on the East Coast. And my um, unsourced, not reporting anything, but my read on the scenario is the, the two names that seem to have the most attention – for Mario Cristobal's first offensive coordinator as head coach at Miami is uh, Kendall Bryles, who is currently the offensive coordinator at Arkansas and has been rising in the industry for a good good bit of time now. And then the head coach of the Toledo Rockets, Jason Candle, who was promoted after Matt Campbell left and has done a, a pretty good job. You know, he's got Toledo always as one of the top three or four teams in the Mac he gets them to a bowl game with some regularity, but that would be, you talk about, um, you know, Mac football, that to me would be um, not an indictment of Toledo or Mac football, but notable to turn to, to leave that job willingly to go become the offensive coordinator at Miami. Now we don't know if he, he is going to do that or not, or if he was, you know, just try entertained by the offer, but wow, that would that would be something if Toledo finds itself in a coaching search because its head coach just left to go be an offensive coordinator uh, for a first year head coach in the ACC. Haven't we seen this before? Um, I'm trying to. Uh, didn't Dan Enos leave Central Michigan as head coach, or did he get fired to go become the Arkansas? Those he did, yeah, in January 22nd of 15. Danny knows resigned after getting his contract extension uh, to go and be the OC at Arkansas for Bielema. Um, we have seen it before. So I guess it has happened before for the record. I think Jason Campbell is actually, or Jason Campbell. I, I think, I think, I think Candle is actually a pretty good play caller uh, and would be a good hire, but apparently he's turned that down per reports, uh, Kendall Browse, I don't think has officially said anything. My guess is that's a move to get more money out of Arkansas, um, which would make some sense because they obviously gave uh, they gave Odom the big the, the, the big uh, the big money extension. So I'm sure Browse would want uh, one of his own. To me, the interesting thing is, okay, with what happened with Moorhead there, right? What Oregon was running a lot of times didn't look like what Moorhead normally wants to play. And it makes me wonder, like, we know that Mario Cristobal has the reputation as wanting to be very physically tough, and he's an offensive line guy, et cetera, et cetera. How much was he micromanaging what they were doing offensively at Oregon? Because it looked like they were trying to do a lot more, hey, get in bigger formations and pound the rock. Uh, than Joe Moorhead is known for doing. I have a strong suspicion that Moorhead's offense will look a lot more uh, like it looked at Penn State, Mississippi State, uh, and then obviously now that he goes back to Akron, 
to become their head coach, I think it's going to look a lot different than it did at Oregon. How much are other coaches out there noticing this and saying, eh, Joe Mo's a pretty proven offensive mind. What Oregon was doing didn't always look like what Joe Mo is known for running. Like, does word get around in the industry as far as you being able to, to run what you want to run? Uh, I think Bryles, by the way, would be a great fit down there. You have a quarterback who can chuck it deep in Tyler Van Dyke and throws the deep ball well. They were already running not the same system, but a, a somewhat similar system with, with what Lashley runs. It's obviously not the same, uh, but like they they use some of the wide splits that you're going to use with, with Bryles. So I think Arkansas would likely keep him and should, but I do wonder how much of this offensive coordinator search is – I don't say being hampered, but how much has it been influenced by what you saw with Joe Moorhead there at Oregon? So I'm not defending Mario Cristobal's influence or non-influence, but I do think that it is important context to look at the pass catchers from the 2021 Oregon team. For and sure. Then I just pulled up uh, 2016 Penn State because we're always going to hold 2016 Penn State as like the gold, gold standard of the Joe Moorhead offense. And he had Chris Godwin, Mike Gusecki, Deshaun Hamilton and Saquon Barkley as skilled options. And that's Those just guys are in the NFL. I think yes. so maybe, maybe Hamilton, Hamilton, Hamilton in the league. Uh, I do not know if he is in the league right now, but um, I, I just mentioned three starters in that group. Compare yeah. that to Devin Williams, Chris Hudson, Travis Dye, Johnny Johnson. I mean, it's just, there is a in terms of the who you are dealing with for the pass catching element of trying to RPO this thing. I I just think that that Penn State offense had so many more weapons that a were able to do more when you got them the ball and able to get the ball more, and then b just the threat that they posed uh, continued to make things a little bit more difficult. Saquon Barkley, Travis Dye, Travis Dye is great in the transfer portal, but you know those are the things that I think. I would say to defend the allegations of Cristobal influence is that, you know, even in the meeting room, whether it's Cristobal, whether it's Moorhead, whether it's someone else on that staff, you're like, I mean, look, what, what do you want us to do? We've got a great offensive line. This is the best. This is, this is our best chance at success. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can certainly see that by the way, producer Jordan uh, says Hamilton is in the league still with the Broncos. So to further your point there, I would also say I thought Jomo did a great job at Fordham. I mean, he took over a team that won one game, and then I think his final two years they 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 won what ten wins and the second biggest turnaround in the FCS uh, in 2012. And obviously, like it, I th- I think the guy's a proven offensive play caller, and this is just I'm confident that there is some of this out there uh, based on I think the expectations that are now at Oregon, ba- the, seeing what Oregon did last year, and I think. I think a new Oregon staff is probably pretty excited uh, about what they can do relative to what they did in 2021. Well, what about then the Miami side of this? If I'm a Miami fan listening to this and I just saw Tyler Van Dyke be the ACC offensive freshman of the year and look really good as the the leader of this passing attack, am I, con- am I concerned about what Miami, whether Miami is going to be in a position where it is – not maximizing uh, skill position talent on the outside and the passing game? And if so, like, is is that something that is a, a red flag or at least something you're keeping an eye out for? I, I, I think they'll get somebody. You know, also, it's not like Miami's offensive line right now is known for pounding people. So you, you they weren't pounding people last year. You kind of, I think, have to play to your strengths, as you mentioned. Um, 
I, I think they'll get somebody and we'll get somebody good. And obviously Van Dyke's pretty damn talented. They do lose Rambo, uh, but they're, they're bringing in some guys. I, I imagine they'll get somebody good. It's just, you know, uh, what, what does he want to be? Also, Kendall and, and Browse are, are different, pretty vastly different, as is Joe Brady. It's not like you're just picking off guys who all run very similar stuff. I mean, this the public search seems kind of grab baggish. Like, what what do you believe in? Mm. What 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 can an offensive coordinator expect to be able to be allowed to run? Mm-mm-mm-mm. Just really seem, really seems like a too many cooks in the kitchen situation down there, and uh, that's good for things to talk about because it's interesting. <laughs> good. For business, let's go. Uh, anything else stand out? We're, again, we'll be meeting back 11 a.m. on Thursday with a live mailbag, so plenty of opportunities to uh, to jump in on that. But uh, anything else you got your eye on before we get out of here? I've been scanning my news column for uh, for for TweetDeck. Not really seeing anything super uh, super breaking right now, which means as soon as we hit stop, we will see something uh, pretty. Uh, there's a Tom Brady Tuck Rule documentary coming out of 30 for 30. So really excited to watch that and watch more Tom Brady content. Um, yeah, let me see here. Uh, David Hale, our buddy for, who covers the ACC for ESPN, was putting out some interesting uh, first down yard uh, rush differential stuff. So I guess that's probably too nerdy and also not great content for a podcast. For a podcast. <laughs> Which means I'm, I'm basically, I'm, I'm tapped. He is Bud Elliott. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Bud, thank you very much. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.